Rwanda. Can't hear me over there. Leave it where it is. Okay. You okay back there, Warren? Well, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Are we okay? No, still not. You want to? Can I just use this one? Okay. Very good. Let me turn this one off and just, uh, I'll leave it there. Are you all okay now, Tom? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was a privilege and a joy for Shirley and me just uh, to be over in Kenya and Rwanda uh, over the months of December, January, February, and half of March. And uh, we're back now, been back about a, a month and uh, as we reflect on that time, we can only say that our time there was blessed by God beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. The, the blessings that God poured out on us in that time were just really abundant. Surely you might as well be making your way here, okay? I'm sure he's going to tell a story here in a moment. But we got to meet many of our sons and daughters over there and a lot of their sons and daughters in the ministry. And our ministry is one that kind of multiplies itself. That's the way it's supposed to be. And uh, God has really done a great work. When we got to Nairobi, we had no idea how we were going to get around town. But as we walked out the airport, there was a wonderful car waiting for us. Shirley, tell the story. First, I'm going to explain that if you try to hug me today, I'm not going to let you. I'm getting over conjectivitis and doing fine. My eyes look more normal than they have. That's why I'm hiding behind the glasses. <laughs> but uh, as I tell the donkey story, I'm going to tell you to give me a donkey hug. Because in Rwanda, when you greet someone, you get three hugs three times. It can be kind of confusing sometimes uh, because you don't know which way they're going to start and you bump heads. But... Uh, today you can just do a donkey a hug, which will be three nods, if it's Rwandan or one if it's American, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord, he gave us such um, an awesome experience that I think my eyes are partly red just from all the crying I do as I think about his mm -hmm. blessings. But I'm supposed to be telling a donkey story. So when we get there, here's this beautiful silver metallic donkey we named it. And the way... It happened was our son, I mean, we requested all of you to pray, Lord, provide us transportation. And we didn't know how he was going to do it, but we just went in faith. And sure enough, our son goes to his home group and says, Lord, we need the Lord to provide a, don a car for these people coming that, you know, they didn't most. Of, well, some of them actually knew us, but the one that spiked up did not know. But just a few months before, he had ordered a Subaru rebuilt from Japan. And uh, he'd just gotten it, and he said to our son, he says, well, in the Bible, when the master asked 
for a donkey. They just went and untied it. So he says, just go take it. And he hadn't even had a chance to get used to using it for his family. He says, I don't, I'm not even used to it yet, so go ahead. And so for three months, that was our transport through uh, all the beautiful trees that have been planted by this little seed 35 years ago that's now grown into beautiful fruit trees and are just producing fruit all over. But the story doesn't stop there. Then uh, I'm in the grocery store one day, and I'm just... Godly sovereignly introduced me or connected me to this tall, handsome Kenyan named Michael with silver hair, although he's young. And uh, we, as we connected, I ended up telling him the donkey story. And he ended up telling me his vision and dream to go to Namibia. For 17 years, he had been plotting and planning how he could take his family to Namibia and start a ministry there. But all the doors had closed and all the roads were closed. So how God sovereignly brought us together was through telling the donkey story. And so then we're off to Rwanda the next, uh, that a few days. But God had also sovereignly reunited us with our son, Mike, who we got separated from 17 years ago due to a crisis in our ministry. And God brought that back together. And as we shared with that Mike about Michael, he says, oh, okay, let me see what I can do. And he just happened to know the ambassador from Kenya to Namibia. So while we're in Rwanda, he's busy connecting Michael with his donkey. <laughs> that was just such a blessing to open up many avenues because the ambassador got really excited about his project and is really on board, and God's just doing one miracle after another all because of a little donkey story. So now we get to Rwanda, and uh, we have no idea what's going to meet us at the airport but sure enough in Rwanda we had five silver metallic donkeys and one of the two of them came with chauffeurs and one of them the owner is in in the auditorium over here so she had just ordered this brand new car from China and lo and behold she's not even in the country and she says well just take it in my chauffeur and let it be what you need so we just thank God for all these wonderful donkeys but doesn't stop there we get back in Kenya and um we need a house, desperately, real quick. Well, the Michael guy that we met's wife just happened to be best friends with a estate agent who just happened to put us right in the right house at the right time. So the miracles just keep going. So now pray that when we return, God will give us our own donkey so that we can unleash it for whoever comes that might need it. We need one in Rwanda and one in Kenya, and I'm sure he's got them waiting for us. Thanks. The donkey was only the beginning of the favor that God poured out upon us. I think um, <clears throat> one of our greatest joys was in just getting to see many of the ministries that had been birthed out of our ministry from many years ago. But also the logistics of our time there, including the housing, the transportation, people to assist us. Finding the apartment, like Shirley said, getting moved, all of this just manifested God's supernatural and loving care for us. And there's no way to fully describe that. No way to describe how we felt because of all this love that was coming down from above, poured out toward us. As I told our house church the other day, the only way to describe it is God's awesome grace. 
God's awesome grace. And I don't use that word awesome as lightly as so many people do these days. I use it as reverently as I possibly can because it really only applies to one person in this world. God, our Father, and his, Jesus Christ, his Son. But it was like showers of blessing. You remember that song, some of you? Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we plead, we need. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. An old hymn. God pouring down his mighty blessings on us. And we were just overcome with awe ourselves at so many things that happened. I can't really go into all the stories of what happened. I'll, I'll come back to some of those perhaps in a few minutes. But last Sunday, Joel preached a, a mighty message. He called it, I don't think you called it a pep talk, did you? But you said like a, a coach kind of encouraging his, his players on the field. And I think that's what God wanted to do for us last week. As we heard the story of, was it about 5 million new converts in, in Iran over the last 30 plus years since the revolution. And I don't know how they've got these figures. I would count 1 million as awesome. 5 million is more than I can imagine. He also told of what God was doing in Saudi Arabia and how workers are coming in from overseas. And many of them are Christians. And they're bringing the presence of God into Saudi Arabia with them as they're doing that. And I don't know how God's going to work that out. But I do know it must be a, a fantastic plan of a fantastic mind to reach the people of Saudi Arabia. He also told about the Back to Jerusalem movement in China. And when we heard many years ago of the numbers of people who had now turned to Christ in China, even during all those years of persecution, which still is going on, the church just multiplying so greatly, has to be the hand of God. And what we got to witness in Kenya and Rwanda was to us no less the hand of an awesome God. Joel, you were encouraging us like a coach. I don't know if you need a slogan to go with that, but let me give you one that uh, Lauren Cunningham gave us 21 years ago in Nairobi when he spoke to one of our discipleship training programs. Lauren Cunningham was the founder of Youth with a Mission, and we were blessed to have him come and speak to one of our training programs. And he, one of his talks was, Jesus is winning. Jesus is winning. And I think that's the kind of slogan you could use around the world. In many places, it's still slow. But he has a plan. Jesus is indeed winning. I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 54. It's a passage of scripture that God gave me a number of years ago. I know we have to be careful in interpreting and applying some of the promises from the Old Testament because they are definitely specific towards a time and a people, the Israeli people, the nation of Israel. Many of them are specific towards the Messiah who was coming, Jesus. 
But in spite of that, these promises reveal the heart and the nature of God. And when I look at them, I look to see what kind of a God do we have. Let's go ahead and read a few verses, the first three verses of Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have not been in travail. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her that is married, says Yahweh. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Hold not back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your descendants will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. When God gave me, just spoke this promise to my heart, I knew that there was going to be some application of that to our life and our ministry, even before we went to Kenya 35 years ago. God gave me those promises. I wasn't exactly sure how he was going to fulfill them. But today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has already fulfilled them and he has a lot more to do. Another verse over in chapter 55. In verse 5. For the person who will seek the Lord, this is a promise that God makes to them. Behold, you shall call nations that you know not, And nations that knew you not shall run to you because of Yahweh your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. I also knew that somehow God was going to take this vessel of clay and through me with the power of his spirit was going to somehow begin to impact nations for his purposes. When we arrived in Kenya 35 years ago, the church in Kenya was kind of like the proverbial lake. You know, it's a mile wide and an inch deep because there was very little spiritual depth. There was no discipleship really going on. God was obviously at work. Signs and wonders were being done. People were coming to Christ. The deaf were being healed. The lame were being healed. The dead was being raised, actually. One of my co-evangelists back in 1970 had the privilege of raising his mother from the dead. But still, there was grief in my heart because I saw that evangelism was the only thing taking place basically in the church. People were coming to church, yes, but there was very little depth. Many of the preachers only preached salvation messages more people coming to Christ. There was very little going on that was going to help these people learn how to walk with the Lord. And I have come to learn that God is much more interested in keeping the harvest and using it to feed others than he is in just reaping the harvest. As a loving father, God longs to have his children gathered around him, learning from him, listening to him, being raised and trained by him, being transformed by the power of the gospel. 
their lives and through them and the lives of others, helping people become more like the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that part of Father's heart was not being satisfied. He wanted to do much more than just save people and bring them into his house. He wanted to bring them to himself so that as a loving father, he could nurture them. He wants to bring many sons and daughters to glory. He says, I will be your father, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And that's what he wants. That we learn from him, to learn to walk with him as children with their father. And people weren't learning how to be children of God, other than just how to get born, born again. That's wonderful. But there's so much more that our Father wants. He wants us to experience him daily. He wants us to receive his power into our lives so that we can walk in that newness of life that we so often read about and sometimes wonder where it is because we're too busy trying to do the Christian life in our own strength and our own efforts. And we haven't developed that relationship with him that he longs for. But that's changing. That's changing in Kenya. It's changing beyond. There is still much to be done. But Jesus is winning. Or as I think Jim Grinnell would say, Christus Victor. Jesus is Lord. He is the winner. He's at work And his kingdom will be fulfilled. Since that time when we had the privilege of going to Kenya, these, I would say, very broken vessels, God somehow has managed to bring thousands of students in high school and college and university campus into discipleship ministries where they can be nurtured, where they can learn how to walk with God for themselves, where they can learn how to receive the power of God in their lives and walk with him as he wants. Although we've used certain methods of training, those methods are not the focus. The focus is the relationship with God in all the discipling we do. There's another verse in Isaiah 54, verse 13. It says, all your sons shall be taught by the Lord. And that's the thing that we are looking for, is that our sons and daughters would develop that relationship with God so that God the Father is, is directing them and teaching them directly, as well as through the body of Christ as well as through other means that he wants to use to speak and to minister to us. But they are relating with God through his word, and he is speaking directly to them and teaching them. Can we go ahead and have the slides? Oh, one of the slides is up there. There's another one, a map. Thank you. While we were there, I think one of the things this uh, time in Kenya pointed out to us is that God has taken the few sons and daughters that we have and through them multiplied the ministry throughout Kenya and also over 
to Rwanda. There are 10 centers of ministry already as birthed out of our ministry that have come to pass in Kenya. Go ahead and put the second slide up, I think. It's a, another version of that. I don't know if you can see some of the red arrows on there, but uh, I would call your attention to some of them if I can uh, get my own map out here. Over on the uh, west side of Kenya, you might see the name Kisumu and Kakamega, and further in from that, Eldoret. All three of those now have campus ministries where they are training university students to walk with the Lord. Some of our kids, some of our grandkids are there. If you come down to central Kenya, we started out in Nairobi. I think you can see Nairobi, the capital city there. And one of those red dots, or whatever that is above there, is a symbol of our particular center in Nairobi. We call it Garden Estate because that's the part of Nairobi that it's in. And there are now a number of discipleship staff members living there and working from there, going to Kenyatta University and also other parts of Kenya. And just above that, there's another red dot or star or whatever that is between Nairobi and the town of Thika at Joma Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology, another center that God has raised up totally beyond us, but somehow in the lineage that God himself has given to us. Go up uh, above Thika a little bit, you'll see Nyeri. Uh, Nyeri has a couple of arrows by it. Then just next to Nyeri is Embu. And just above Embu is Meru. All of these again. Bases of discipleship training in Kenya. In Nyeri, it is Jasper and Jengi Tonga leading the Bible Explorers Club, teaching men and women throughout Kenya how to read the Bible consistently. When people learn how to read the Bible daily and commit themselves to it, it changes their lives. Over in Embu, Galvin and Esther Kinua have developed another training center called HELD. Galvin loves acronyms, and for the life of me, I can't get my mind around any of them. So I don't know what HELD stands for, except they have a t-shirt that says, HELD to hold. And uh, it's another Exciting discipleship ministry that God has raised up over there. Above there, not exactly in Meru, but in Chuka, just above Embu, is another one that one of our daughters, Nancy Mutunga, now Nancy Mbaka, is doing a fantastic work. We didn't get to see Nancy, but uh, she's doing an amazing work among high school students and also now teaching at the university called, I think, Mount Kenyan University in Chuka. And she's considered by many to be the uh, person who's really brought together discipleship for young people in that region. Come down to Nairobi again, and off to the east you'll find a town called Kitui. Simon and Mary Kiteme. Simon was with us from the very beginning week on campus at Kenyatta University back in 1985. He graduated in 87. Maybe he started in 84, but anyway, he graduated in 87, and we invited him to join us for full-time ministry training. 
He was with us for two years, working on the campus, going to various schools, and sharing discipleship with young people in schools. And when we say discipleship, we mean Christ, because we're pointing people to Christ. And though these schools had been for so long used to having evangelistic messages on Sundays because they're boarding schools, people would go around preaching the gospel constantly. We decided to do something different. We decided to speak to those who were struggling Christians in the schools about how they can walk with the Lord. And we discovered that when you approach it differently like that, how you can just spend time with God daily, how you can get into the Word and study the Word, how you can memorize Scripture, how you encourage one another, and especially when there's a Christian teacher around who's going to help them do that, we found it made a big difference. But it also pointed people there to the Lord Jesus. And students, time after time, we went into these high schools on discipleship missions, came to Jesus as their Savior. But we knew that they were going to have a group then that was going to nurture them, and a teacher that was going to help nurture them in the ways of walking with the Lord. Well, have I missed anything in Nairobi? There should be 10 centers there. Over the last eight years, though, God has opened up Rwanda to our ministry. Starting in 2004, Lea Wangombe went to the National University of Rwanda in Butare, which is the star below the name Rwanda there, and uh, started discipling students. And since she was alone, she decided she had to disciple men and women. And over the years, Leah's ministry has grown so that many of her graduates are now in very key positions in Rwanda, in professions as well as Christian ministries. We got to meet many of them, people who are actually helping her multiply the work of discipleship among young people in schools and colleges of Rwanda. An interesting story about Leah was uh, a few years ago when we were there with the Kenya team from this church. Can I see? Who went on that Kenya team with us? Jane was over here. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Several of you. Thank you. We... uh, When we were there after the team had left, Leah came and visited us. In fact, she had just left her work in Rwanda and was wondering what God had in mind for her. She thought maybe that would be going for further education somewhere and doing something else later uh, over time. She got the idea that she might go to southern Sudan. And you can see a very, you know, the top of your map there where Sudan is and doing something to disciple young people there, but God closed the door. She wrote to Alice, one of her discipleship trainees, now graduated, and now also Alice is heading up the work of, many of you perhaps know the name InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, a campus ministry that's been here in the States and around the world, actually, for many years. And Alice, one of Leah's daughters, is now heading up that ministry. She called Alice and said, I'd really like to go to southern Sudan. And Ella said, in turn, brilliant thinking, come back to Rwanda and train our people to go to Sudan. And I think that's great because that's what Leah has now done. Leah received us in Sudan, not in Sudan, in Rwanda. She didn't have a house. 
But that's where God brought another provision to us. You see the young lady over there sitting next to Rose, her daughter, Liddy? Liddy was here for one of the uh, meetings of the missions conference. I think it was the International Worship Night. Liddy wrote to us and said, do you have a place to stay? And when we knew that Leah didn't have a big, big enough house for us, we said, yes. Liddy wrote to her pastor. Her pastor organized for us to stay with Eddie and Dion, two people in his church, good friends of Rose and Liddy. And uh, what a blessing we had being in their home for 12 days. One little bit of icing on the cake there was that Eddie works in Internet technology. And Eddie has one of the few houses in Rwanda that has Wi-Fi. We had been struggling over in Kenya with our Internet. We had no problems the 12 days we were in Rwanda. But they took tremendous care of us. Jesus is winning. Oh, I should point out the other center in Rwanda. Actually, Leah's gone now to Kigali, which is above the N in Rwanda there on the map. And uh, she's teaching at another, not teaching, she's discipling at another university. Am I causing the, can you hear the hum, the noise out there? I'm getting it on my speakers, that's okay. If you can't hear it, I'm okay. Uh, Another young man now is working at the university, the National University of Rwanda in Butare. Leah's working at the Kenya, Kigali Institute of Education. I mix up the K's, sorry, Kenya, Kigali. Kigali Institute of Education, right there. We passed by it many times when we were in Kigali. Starting a new ministry there, working with the InterVarsity group there called UGBR. If anybody speaks French, I can't say it to you. Um, but uh, you could probably tell us what it means, but anyway, uh, basically the Union of Christian Students in Rwanda, something like that. And uh, She's there now again. We met some of her people that she has trained, multiplying herself to do the work of ministry in raising up disciples in Rwanda. But there's another young man, as I was saying, named James Matuku. I think I'm losing some of my concentration here. A while ago, I was going to tell you about Simon and Mary Kiteme. Simon left our ministry, went down to Kitui, and began a ministry of disciple-making there in high schools. He was a teacher. His wife's a teacher. They're still teaching after all these years. And uh, they just began this wonderful ministry called Fishers of Men Training. Not only were they working in their own high schools in disciple-making, but they were reaching out to other high schools in their district called the Kitui District. Eventually, they started having discipleship training programs in December for high school students from that area which have now been going on for over 20 years. High school students will come to the one-year, one-month discipleship training, one-week discipleship training program, and their lives get changed. But they keep coming back year after year after year. When they get to college, they come back year after year after year. When they get to college, they go there and start their own discipleship ministries in those colleges. When they go to cities, we learned, discovered that there's a, a discipleship base, training base right at the University of Nairobi now that has birthed out of Kitemi's ministry, Fishers of Men Training. 
But our greatest surprise was to find out that there is now a missionary in Rwanda birthed out of Kiteme's training, James Motuku. When he, uh, after he finished high school, he decided to stay with Kitemes for a while. And for four years, he continued with his training and his ministry. And Fishers have been training. Then he went to Joma Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology. And that's where he studied microbiology, biochemistry, got a degree in that. But decided he wasn't going to use that, at least for the current time. He wanted to make disciples at the university in Butare, Rwanda. He's been there now over two years, doing a fantastic job. And since he's by himself there, he's also discipling young ladies as well as young men. We got to visit some of those that he's training. One day we spoke briefly at the lunch hour meeting for the Christian Fellowship on campus. Then we went to lunch ourselves, and after lunch, James brought about 20 of his students in for another meeting with us. To me, just looking around at all of this is awesome. Awesome grace. God fulfilling the desire of his heart. And he takes vessels of clay like you and me into which he pours his glory and his power. And he accomplishes a work in the lives of others. And that work multiplies. And what seems totally impossible of our sons and daughters spreading abroad to the right and to the left, possessing nations and cities, is now taking place. God has fulfilled his promises and he's continuing to do that. We are amazed. I think you can go ahead and turn off the, the map now. Thank you. What God is doing in Kenya and Rwanda. And by the way, I understand there's a lady who's a descendant of our ministry somewhere. She's off in Thailand now. I don't even know her name. But she's working with uh, the Student Volunteer Movement 2 group that now has their base in Chiang Mai, Thailand. What a blessing. What a privilege. But I'd like to point out that this ministry also has a direct link to Tulsa Christian Fellowship. You sitting here today. That's why I wanted to show the map to you. I want you to know that God has been using you as well in Africa. When we were there, we knew that this body was praying for us, both over the many years that we were there, but also during this last trip, last visit to Kenya. Time after time, Bill or one of the other elders would write to us and say, we prayed for you in church on Sunday. Then I knew that many of you were praying during the week. We felt it. God bringing you into that link of what God is doing just in those two countries alone for right now. God is winning. Jesus is winning. But for us, there's a bit of a sticker price. My first trip to Kenya in 1968, traveling with Chuck Farah and 17 students from Oral Roberts University. We went there with Oral Roberts also for three weeks of ministry. As I was going there, God gave me another verse from Isaiah. 
chapter 58 and verse 10, it says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The sticker price for us is that we have to be willing to be poured out. Poured out for the ministry, for the kingdom of God. Making disciples requires pouring our lives out for the hungry. And if we do that, then God himself will bring a very bright and wonderful fulfillment in our lives. Last Sunday, Don Farrell, she must be upstairs, uh, shared in the uh, lunch class that we've been having with Jim Grinnell um, that discipleship is not just something we think of after somebody comes to Christ. There is pre-discipling to take place very often in the lives of people. She was thinking especially of the Kendall Whittier neighborhood and the, the uh, Good News Club over at the Kendall Whittier School. What it's taken is for many people, many of you, to go to the Good News Club and pour yourselves out. Continue teaching the word to these children, many of whom have not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus, but many of whom have. But there's a move on right now to reach their parents, reach the neighborhood. And TCF has been involved in that in many years. We thank God. But it's going to take a continual pouring out of yourself for the hungry in this neighborhood if we're going to reach them and make disciples. Another aspect of the cost is dying to ourselves. Dying to the vision God has given to us. I will remember God giving me this vision for training young people and people to train young people in Kenya back in 1971. But he didn't let me go to Kenya until 1978 again. After God confirmed that vision on my heart, he says, I want you to put it to death. I want you to give up any effort to bring it about. And I want you to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Have you ever heard of that? I was living in Southern California at the time. And I'd been a student at ORU, so I knew Tulsa. I knew Chuck Farrell already. He said, I want you to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma and become a part of the body of Christ there, specifically Tulsa Christian Fellowship. That was 1972 then that I came. And I had to lay down that ministry vision for Kenya for a number of years. Warren and Shirley probably remember that, me struggling with that a few times, knowing that I wanted to get to Kenya and trying to continually lay it down. But eventually in 1978, God raised the vision again, but this time in his resurrection power, not in my efforts. And that's what it takes for those of us with vision. That's what it takes for those of us with vision for Kendall Whittier. I look at Kirk and Hania, and I know that they have poured out their lives time after time, day after day. But also... This church has had to lay down that vision many different times, different things that didn't seem to be working to fulfill the vision. Oh, yes, a few things are working. We thank God for the medical van that was here for a number of years. We thank God for the Christmas caroling that goes into the neighborhood. 
We thank God for Kirk and Hania and, and their living in the neighborhood and what they're doing. But there's more to be done if we're going to reach the parents of these kids. And I believe this is where God potentially has the resurrection of that vision for TCF. I would like to say, hold on. Hold on to the vision. Don't give up. Though there have been many discouragements. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3, there's another one of those promises that applies specifically to the nation of Israel. But I think there's a principle here that has been repeated many times in Scripture. For still the vision awaits its time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. You will not delay. I'm here today to give testimony to that, what God has been doing in Kenya, raising up workers for the harvest, to reap the harvest and to send the harvest out to feed the others, to keep the harvest. God is going to fulfill that vision that he's given to this body, I believe, in spite of the many discouragements. That fulfillment of the vision still awaits its time, but I think the time is, is it's rising. And I sense the power of God is rising through this body to begin to take this territory. Not completely. We'll never take a territory completely. But I believe God is raising up this body to do that. So I said it's a biblical principle, putting your vision to death. Abraham had to do that when he took Isaac to the altar on Mount Moriah. King David had to do that after he was anointed to be king. It was many years before, many years of trial and tribulation and suffering and running from King Saul before God fulfilled that vision in his life. Look at Moses. I just read this week where Moses, after he had come of age, raised in Pharaoh's household, went out to visit his people, the people of Israel. And he saw an Egyptian oppressing an Israeli. And he killed him, the Egyptian. I don't think he seemed to think very much of that until the next day he went out and he saw two Israeli guys struggling with each other. And he started to intervene. And the one guy who was kind of behind the argument, who got the whole thing started apparently, says, you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses realized his story had been told, and he had to flee. I think in his heart at that particular time, there, were, there was the intention of trying to help his people, Israel, who were slaves in Egypt. But God had to set him out in the desert tending sheep for 40 years before he spoke to him in a bush and resurrected the vision. But nevertheless, he did resurrect the vision. He called Moses. He called him to Pharaoh's court. And I don't know how Moses had the, the guts to keep coming back to Pharaoh except God working through him. After all the times he was rejected, But God had a plan, and he knew that God was working his plan. 
And God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt in flying colors, so to speak. Resurrection power. And Moses led the people of Israel for 40 years. God working his vision through a frail human being. Moses was nothing. Abraham was nothing when God called him. David was a shepherd boy. Jesus also knew the principle of death of a vision, so to speak, and waiting on God's timing for it to happen. Remember at the age of 12 when he went to the temple, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and they were so surprised at the profoundness I could have said profundity, but I thought profoundness sounded better, uh, with which Jesus was speaking. And yet his parents came back, and for the next 18 years, Jesus just remained a part of their household before beginning his ministry. He had to wait for Father's time, but Father's time was sure. The vision was sure. When God gets around to Fulfilling his vision, be assured it's going to happen with resurrection power if we have been putting it to death and allowing it to die until he resurrects it. Jesus is winning, not only in Iran, in China, in Saudi Arabia, but also in Kenya, now Rwanda. And as long as we continue to lay our lives down and pour ourselves out, God will continue winning. And his resurrection power will be that which fulfills the vision God has given to us. I look out in the congregation and I see people with vision, missions vision, young people. I want to encourage you today. You have a vision of something God's going to do in your life. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's in the professional world. I have no idea. But I want to stand here today and tell you that the vision God has given you is going to happen. You don't have to be afraid. It's going to happen. Let me refer back to Isaiah 58, verses 10, 11, and 12. This is my closing scripture. Again, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And Yahweh will guide you continually and satisfy your desire with good things and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And I see that has happened in Kenya. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. God is at work. Jesus is winning. Christ is victor. And he's allowed us to be part of his winning team. God bless you.